This is an ABC podcast. Ah, feedback. We're all told we need it, and depending on how it's delivered, it can be a game changer, useless, or at worst, incredibly damaging. It was feedback that somebody had provided to somebody who then provided it to me. The feedback was delivered from a place where he cared about me. It was very direct and clear and specific, uh, and it was directed towards helping me better, be better in my role. Uh, when feedback wasn't helpful or constructive was when it was uh, totally vague and uh, non-specific, uh, when there was a lot of, uh, they were just pointing fingers uh, at certain uh, individuals. Uh, why did you do this or why did you not do that? Hello, I'm Lisa Leong. And as we'll hear in this episode of This Working Life, how we receive feedback is just as important as dishing it out. What's your relationship with feedback? Maybe you've thought you could learn how to be better at giving it, but how about switching it around and considering how you receive it? Turns out, if we hone our skills at receiving, we also get better at giving feedback. Sheila Heen, you're Professor of Practice at Harvard Law School, Deputy Director of the Harvard Negotiation Project, where you teach conflict and negotiation management. You wrote Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most, and more recently, Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. Your corporate clients have included Pixar, Hugo Boss, the NBA, Federal Reserve Bank, Ford, Converse, American Express. So feedback seems to be pretty highly valued. Why did you write this book about feedback, Sheila? Well, I think that part of what got us curious about feedback is that we didn't understand why our advice was not as brilliant as we thought it was. <laughs> we were getting feedback indirectly that although what we were, when people were saying, hey, I need help with feedback conversations, we'd be like, great, we can help you with that. And we would give them all kinds of advice and skills for offering feedback. And then we'd come back six months later and say like, so how are those feedback conversations going? And they're like, yeah, they're still not really working. <laughs> so we thought, okay, there's something here that we're missing. So let's see if we can figure out what it is. And Sheila, have you heard of the term shit sandwich? Or oh, is this just an sure. Aussie term? <laughs> oh, no, no. I, that is a global term, I believe. Yes. Okay. What do you think of the shit sandwich? I mean, the name speaks for itself, I would say. Don't you think, Lisa? <laughs> so the idea is that you say something positive, <laughs> then you fit in the real thing that you need to say, mm -hmm. the negative, and then you, you try to end on a high note. The problem is that nobody is fooled by that, right? Like, in other words, we call it a shit sandwich. We call it a ham sandwich. We don't call it a bread ham bread sandwich. You know that the meat is in the middle. The point of this conversation, though, is that we need to talk about the middle thing, which where it's really not working or I have some coaching to give you. You kind of can sense that something is coming. Coming, exactly. You know that the only reason they're saying something nice is because they're about to say something next, right? So, Lisa, I love the way you conduct this interview. And then you're waiting like, okay, that doesn't seem like a complete sentence. So what's coming? Um, I think that the advice to balance the feedback, to say, actually, there are some things to talk about. We need to talk together about the proportion of how serious this is. I do have a couple of suggestions that are important and that we should talk about. But just to be clear, this is like 5% of the job. 
And this is like your learning edge. There are a whole bunch of other things that you're doing incredibly well. And I'm totally happy to talk about those in detail also. That's a more meaningful description of the dilemma between us. And in your experience, why is feedback at work so critical? Coaching, and by coaching, we mean anything designed to help you get better, is is really the, the engine for learning and improvement and strengthening our collaboration or, or for me to grow right into the next role or the next set of responsibilities. But the other part of the purpose is actually appreciation, which is also a form of feedback, is a hedge against burnout. It's what keeps people motivated and engaged. If they know that other people see all the blood, sweat, and tears they're putting into their job and what they're doing well, then they'll stick with it and feel less burned out or dismissed. So you'll retain talent and engagement and also will be more receptive to the coaching if we feel appreciated. I love the fact that your research and you know your learnings focus on receiving feedback. It's very novel. Why did you decide to focus on receiving rather than giving? Given we've got so much to give We do have so much to give. And and, and it circles back to that original motivation, which is like, gosh, we've got all this great advice about giving. Why isn't it working? And it took 10 years for us to realize, oh, hold on a second. That's only half the equation. And in any exchange of feedback between a giver and a receiver, it's actually the receiver who's in charge. They're the ones who decide what they're going to let in and the sense they're going to make of it and whether they choose to change. So maybe we've been going at this backwards and we should be really focused on understanding what's so challenging for all of us about taking in all of the feedback, suggestions, ideas, judgments, et cetera, that other people have for us in all of our relationships, personal and professional. And if we understood those challenges, well, then we automatically would become better givers, right? Because we could anticipate the reaction we're going to get from the receivers when we're on the giving side. So what does receiving feedback well look like? Well, importantly, it doesn't mean that you always take the feedback. (laughs) But it it does Ah. mean that you slow down and you don't decide whether you agree or disagree quite so fast. I think that when people come at me with feedback, I'm scanning it for what's wrong with it. Like, (laughs) whether is that good or bad advice? Would it work? Does it understand the situation? Do you have your own agenda? You know, do I think you have any credibility? Do I trust you? If I can find something wrong with it, I can safely set it aside and relax and go on with my life. So I'm really good at wrong spotting. But the problem with wrong spotting is that there's always going to be something wrong with feedback you get. And deciding up front, is this right or is it wrong, before you fully understood it, so we're deciding based on sort of a triggered reaction to it, is exactly the wrong thing to do. So the skill of getting good at receiving is actually to wait and first understand what your giver is trying to tell you and to sit with it and unpack it and try to understand, is this sitting in a blind spot? Is it something that's hard to see about myself? And then to choose which part of it, 10% of it might be right. The other 90% I can get rid of, but it's digging for the piece of it, not just what's wrong with it, but what could be right about it. And that's usually a, a piece of it rather than the whole thing. You mentioned triggers and you break this down into three triggers. Briefly, what are the three triggers? And then we'll go deeper into each one. Yeah. So what we found is that as human beings, we have three kinds of triggered reactions when we get feedback. And the first is what we call a truth trigger. Is this right or wrong? Is it good or bad advice? Would it work? 
And it's all about the substance or quality of the feedback itself. The second is a relationship trigger, and that has everything to do with who's giving you the feedback. Do you like them? Do you trust them? Do you want to be like them? And this is why your best friend can tell you something that nobody else can. However, it's also true that people we don't like and don't trust and don't want to be like sometimes actually have something valuable to offer us, which is super irritating. (laughs) The third kind of trigger is what we call an identity trigger. And that has everything to do with the story we tell about who I am or want to be and also how I'm wired. Because in the course of this research, we found that individual sensitivity to feedback, how upset you get and how long it takes you to recover, can vary by up to 3,000%. What? (laughs) 3,000%? Exactly. Is that crazy? I don't know, Lisa. What would you say? What's your instinct for which end of the scale you trend toward? Uh, I'm, I, doesn't everyone say I'm actually really good with feedback? (laughs) That's so interesting. Well, so that tells me that you are actually (laughs) relatively even keel. And and by the way, so am I, but my co-author Doug is very sensitive. And he would say, if you are asking me, how can I tell if I'm sensitive? You're not. (laughs) He's like, because if you're sensitive to feedback, you know it. Like any suggestion that you're not doing something exactly right, you know, keeps you awake all night long and you're upset for like days on end. It's not better or worse to be sensitive or insensitive. The challenges are just different. So one of the hard things about being undersensitive to feedback, I'll call it that even keel, is that people are trying to give you feedback sometimes and you don't even know it because they're being super indirect. They're like, you know, Sarah does it this way. And you're like, yeah, good for Sarah. Who cares? <laughs> right? Like, are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> Sheila, can you share the example about the podcast host? Oh, that's such a good example. So we were being interviewed. The guy who was interviewing us said like, oh my gosh, this just happened to me. I got feedback from my producer that she thought I needed to be more edgy on the air. And he's like, I got super upset because he he said he was um, sensitive to feedback. He's like, I went home, I dwelled on it. I'm like, I'm supposed to be more edgy. Like, am I supposed to be like Howard Stern? I'm, I'm supposed to be swearing at people or like what in the world? That's just not who I am. And he's like, I'm just not taking that feedback. That's ridiculous. And then he thought, is that what she meant by edgy? So he went back to her and said like, by the way, you you suggested last week that I should be more edgy. I don't think I'm going to do that, but can you say more about what, what you're picturing when you say that? And she's like, yeah, like, I just think you need to be more open and more vulnerable on the air. And he's like, okay, that is not what edgy means. <laughs> his reaction, his reaction was like, well, you described it badly, uh, which might be true. But the tricky thing about feedback is that it always arrives as some kind of word or phrase, right, that captures the topic. And what we think it means versus what they mean by it can be really different. And so digging in to understand it first, like, can you give me some examples of that? Or if I were to take your advice, what would that look like? Or what what did you notice that prompted you to give me this advice? Just asking some questions first to understand the feedback. Then later you can decide whether you agree with it or disagree with it. So what would you suggest we could do instead you really need a two-way conversation to do that. Like, help me understand what you mean, or, well, what if I did this, or what did you notice? And that's really the um, purpose of the conversation. 
Later, I can go away and decide what parts of it I agree with or don't agree with. I might even want to go to a friend and say like, gosh, I got this suggestion. I, it doesn't seem right to me, but is it sitting in one of my blind spots? For Nicole, it was all about how the feedback was delivered. I had one experience where I actually had the same piece of feedback twice. The first time it wasn't helpful and the second time it was. And both related to how I was in the training room. So I was a training facilitator and I was delivering training to large groups of people. And the first time I got the feedback, it was delivered to me in a bit of a way where I felt I was ambushed. So my boss called me into the office. He said, oh, how was that training that you did last week? I said, oh, it was all fine. It went okay. It wasn't great, but it was all right. And he goes, there's been a complaint by the client. And the following time, it was actually the same thing. But what happened that time was my boss called me into the office. She said, look, we've had a complaint from the client, but I really want to understand what your perspective was and what was going on so that we can have a chat about it. Creating a two-way conversation came up a lot when we asked listeners about their experiences of feedback. Now, in both cases, the feedback from the client was that I wasn't friendly enough, but it was the first time I was so scared by the way that he'd ambushed me that I just kind of forgot about it. The second time, because of how it was delivered, I actually got to have a really good conversation about what had actually gone on and what had um, happened so that I was actually able to take some of those learnings and do things differently. And I, and I just realised I needed to smile a bit more. Let's go deeper on um, receiving feedback and relationship. Well, most of us, I think, carry around a list of approved feedback givers. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, there aren't many people on it. And so our first reaction when someone offers us advice or judgment or whatever um, is often to be like, "Mm, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I cared what you thought. I think we evaluate it based on who's giving it before we actually hear what it is we have to say, like the who can trump the what. The danger there is that there are times when the most valuable players in your learning are actually the people you find most challenging to work with. Can you elaborate on that? Give us an example. The two of you work together easily. Your styles line up. They don't really see your edges because you're so compatible. The people you find difficult to work with, they do see your edges. But they're the ones who, if you asked, hey, is what's one thing that if I changed it, you think would make a difference here? They surely would have an answer. It will start a conversation that will help the two of you understand what, what is hard about working together here or collaborating and what could we each learn from each other. And I can choose not to follow your advice, but I should at least be curious what it is. When I ask people, For how many of you have some of your biggest learnings come out of some of your most painful experiences, lots of hands go up. And there's something about that friction and that pain that is a learning edge for us. And there's something that we will learn about ourselves or about some aspect of the role or the job or the world that we didn't really understand as clearly before. I think sometimes we hesitate to ask people because we think, well, then I have to take the advice. I don't think you have to take the advice, but being curious about it and starting that conversation can often actually improve the relationship. The theme of clear and specific feedback was also a high priority for people we spoke to for this episode. In order to learn and improve, you actually have to understand what the instances are and what has actually happened 
And so recently for me, I received some feedback that was delivered in a third and fourth person that was completely vague. So then that made me think it could be anybody in the entire organisation who's provided this feedback. When I sort of step out of this room, I'm going to be sort of second guessing my interactions with almost everybody. There were no named parties and there was no real um, instance that was cited and no real examples. And so it was just sort of (laughs) sort of saying, okay, I don't quite understand what I've done to whom, about what, at what time. I just had nowhere to go. And so I said, look, this now has, has left me feeling very exposed. And so for me, I think the best decision is probably for me to continue somewhere else. So how can we make it easier for people to give us feedback well? So rather than just saying, hey, do you have any feedback for me? To instead ask, hey, what's one thing that if I changed it would make a difference to you? And if you do that informally, like walking down the hall, hey, what's one thing if we changed it about this Monday meeting would make it better? Like you will start to have better feedback conversations just woven into daily life. Let's go now to identity. Part of what's hard about feedback is that who we are feels like it's on the line. And the story we tell about the feedback we get has a huge impact on how upset we are about it. So this is related to the idea of fixed mindset and growth mindset. Either I'm competent or incompetent. I'm a good person or a bad person. Like feedback can feel like a verdict about who we are or how we are. But actually, of course, we are always growing and changing. So if I hear feedback instead as, okay, well, this is telling me something about where I am now, but I can, it's an opportunity for me to get better at that or to be more aware of it. And so feedback is actually just helping me get a sense of what I should work on next. That's a really different story that helps lower the stakes identity-wise um, because the feedback is like, oh, that's really helpful rather than, oh, I feel judged Can we talk about giving feedback then? Because we're all enlightened now. We're wonderful at receiving feedback. We ask good questions and we find out more and we don't take it too seriously, but we take the elements that we want. What does the research tell us about what is important here with giving feedback? So the first thing I think that is helpful for me about giving is to understand that there are actually three different types of feedback and they have really different purposes. So one is appreciation, um, and appreciation just says, I see you and I get you and I notice what you're doing well and, and how hard you're trying. The second is coaching. Coaching is anything designed to help you get better, more skillful, knowledgeable, effective. And the third is evaluation. Evaluation rates or ranks you. It says, here's the set of expectations and here's how you're doing and where you stand. All of us need all three kinds to learn and grow, but we need different types at different times. So number two, which type do I think I want to give. And is that what they think they need right now? What can often happen is that someone says, hey, I would love some feedback. And I assume they mean some suggestions, some coaching, when actually what they were hoping for was just some appreciation. Like, (laughs) I can use some feedback. Do you even notice that I work here? There's a hilarious example in your book where three people come in to get (laughs) some feedback. And it's their expectations don't match the type of feedback that they get. Well, it's hilarious and it's partly hilarious sad, right? Because it's so recognizable. 
there's a partner, Donald, and his assistant comes in and asks him for some feedback. And she's been feeling overworked and overwhelmed and like she just needs a little bit of encouragement. And he then says, yeah, I think you could work on your time management. And he has all these very specific suggestions for her because he thinks she's asking for coaching and that's what he offers her. And she just leaves feeling completely devastated when all she wanted and needed really was appreciation. And then a young associate comes in and he keeps getting assignments from Donald and he's not even sure where to start. He just needs a little bit of direction and coaching. And Donald says, you're doing great. Keep it up. He just leaves me like, okay, that was not helpful at all because I needed some coaching and what I got was appreciation. Senior associate comes in and wants a, a sense of like, am I on partner track or not? Like I need evaluation. Where do I stand? And I think he also just gives her like, you're you're so great. Keep it up. Like appreciation. He says, um, thank you so much for doing those extra hours. Oh, I really right. noticed. <laughs> yes. Yes. And she's like, okay, that didn't tell me anything. So how would you have redone that? What should Don- Donald have done there? Well, I think Donald should have asked the question. How have you been feeling? What are you hoping to learn from my feedback? And And that'll help me offer you something that will be useful to you. How do you give feedback up to your manager or CEO? Um, And what kind of feedback would you like to give, Lisa? (laughs) Um, So hypothetically, (laughs) uh, it could be anything, but just I think the thought of giving any feedback uh, to a a manager or a CEO of a company um, it's kind of a bit terrifying because even though they might say that they're open to it, I wonder whether deep down you're wondering, if I give them feedback, will I still have a job? <laughs> so what this tells me is that the feedback that you feel you need to give is probably coaching. Because if it were appreciation, you wouldn't be so nervous. And that along with your coaching, there is a bit of evaluation, which is like you're kind of doing a crap job at a couple of aspects of this. So this is the paradox of seniority and feedback, which is that as you become more and more senior, your blind spots affect more and more people and fewer and fewer of them are willing to take the risk to tell you about it. So As a leader, you actually need more and more advanced receiving skills. Sheila, what do you think about the feedback fallacy, which questions the usefulness of negative feedback? What I think is totally true about what is being labeled the feedback fallacy is that the feedback that I have for someone else reflects at least as much about my implicit rules and expectations and assumptions about how we should be working together and my preferences and style for that collaboration as it does your behavior, right? Because it's about the combination of you plus me and the way in which that's working. And I think that often we think of feedback as I'm just telling you the stuff that's only about you. Here's how I think you need to change. But the thing that I worry about when people say, you know, you shouldn't be giving feedback because there's no point to it and people just get anxious is, well, now you're telling me that we're not supposed to talk about it. I want to encourage people to have an open conversation about what's going wrong and how we could improve it. And if you don't want to call that a feedback conversation, that's fine. We'll just call it a difficult conversation. 
Sheila, I really like focusing on people's strengths. So I think that the focus on strengths is a really important correction to the fact that we do often focus our attention on the things that aren't working. The only place where I start getting a little bit angsty about the strengths orientation is that I think sometimes people take away the the misapprehension that this means that we're only supposed to talk about happy things. And that people hear, I'm not supposed to focus on what's not working. Thanks so much, Sheila. You're bloody brilliant, Sheila. Oh, thank you. Professor Sheila Heen from Harvard University. And if you missed it before, Sheila's book is Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. And thank you for sharing your feedback stories with us. And I'd like to welcome our new producer to This Working Life, Sarah Alili. Did I pronounce that right? So hang on, how do you say it? Alili. Uh, Alili. She loves feedback, so please give us some about this episode. You can contact us on thisworkinglife at abc.net.au. We'd love to hear what you think. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next time, love your work. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.